You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Has forgiveness ever made you angry? Maybe someone who has forgiven you for something that you actually didn't do? Um, that's happened a couple times in my marriage. Um, we get into a fight and I say, I forgive you. And it's actually the wrong thing to say because she didn't do anything wrong. Um, or maybe you get angry at someone who's getting forgiveness for something they actually did do. Um, maybe for example, I, I think of the story of Celestine and Anne-Marie. Celestine and Anne-Marie live in Rwanda and during the Rwandan genocide, Celestine killed Anne-Marie's four children and husband with a machete. Her oldest child was 11 years old. He served only 10 years in prison and then returned to her village where he lives next door. How does that sit with you? In this time that we have together, I'm going to talk to you about rediscovering forgiveness. This is the series that we've been going through called Rediscover. And and I'm going to start by talking about clay roofs, then extreme home makeover, uh, then a wild dog in Woodland Park, Colorado. So we're going to start with clay roofs. In order to for me to explain to you how we can rediscover forgiveness, we have to start here with clay roofs. There's a story about Jesus in an ancient Jewish book uh, by this political radical known as Mark. He's a disciple of Jesus's. And he writes this. Uh, I'm going to read here from Mark chapter 2. Here's the story. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, there was no room left, not even outside the door when he preached the word to them. So men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, They lowered the man, the paralyzed man, on on the mat that he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this man talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, a couple things. First of all, Jesus is is in Capernaum again. This is really important. This is really big because Jesus was a fugitive at this time from the last time he was in Capernaum. Um, There in the story of Mark chapter 1 verses 40 through 45. But what did he do? Well, he actually had the audacity to declare a leper clean. And why was this such a big issue? Well, um, see at the time, Lepers and anyone else who had this lack of physical wholeness, like the paralytic in our story, were believed to be that way because of sin. 
Okay, there was either sin in their life or sin, generational sin in their parents' life, this inherited sin. And that was why they were a paralytic, or that's why they became a leper, or that's why they were born blind. So it, it, it took the case out of, obviously, there was not a scientific understanding of the body or, or disease at the time. So they believed that this was caused through sin. So they were second-class citizens. And in order to remove the social and physical death sentence that this was, they would need to be declared clean by a priest who would then issue God's forgiveness capriciously for all of that sin, inherited sin, their own sin. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, you had to pay the priests for this uh, service. So not only were you an outcast, were you sick, um, and you were poor because of all of this, you had to pay a fee that no one else had to pay because you were sick, outcast, and poor. I, I think about the words from James Baldwin. He, he writes about sort of a, a similar absurd uh, apparatus in our own country and when he writes, anyone who has ever struggled with poverty knows how extremely expensive it is to be poor. See, it, it might be hard for you, for some of us to imagine, but try if you can. Imagine a world where you are penalized and held back because of your body. See, Jesus had to escape the city because he broke these two very important rules of the system. Okay, He's, First of all, he touches a leper, which was illegal. And then the second is, and he declares them clean. So Jesus retreats for a while, but then he's back for more. He comes back to Capernaum, and this is what happens when he returns for the second time here on his mission in Mark 2. He comes home, and what does he do? He, he goes to start preaching, and he goes to the place with clay roofs. But why does he go there? See, so many people hear him and, and come to see him at that time. And he's preaching in neighborhoods of poverty. People live in these clay huts, um, one-room homes that don't have, many, don't have much space for a lot of people to get into. Um, so Jesus is here preaching. So four people arrive to hear him preach. And um, they bring their friend with them on a mat, who's probably lying on that same mat pretty much for every hour of every day since most likely he was born, um, or at least until he was an adult, for sure. Um, and I wonder who these people are. Okay, Who are these four people that bring their friend on a mat? Um, the story doesn't give us a lot of background on who these people are, but um, we do know that they're risking something, okay, because of who their friend is, right? They're, they're risking a reputation. They're risking some economic prospects because they're putting their neck out for this guy. Um, and we also know that these people were relentless. They can't get in the front door. Okay, we dig a hole in the roof. Um, and Mark is making a point here that this group of friends took extreme measures, the, this severe measure to, 
their commitment to get healing for their friend, who was a second-class, outcast citizen, shouldering the burden of generational sin. And why would they do that? Well, because meeting Jesus would mean equality and life to him. So they get to Jesus, and this is where things get real. Jesus says to them, it's because of your faith your friend is healed. No, he doesn't say healed. He says forgiven. See, because I honestly think that if Jesus would have just simply healed the guy, nobody would have been upset. Because who doesn't like a magic trick, right? That's exciting. Uh, things happen and, and this person gets changed. But actually, a magic trick doesn't fundamentally shift things. Um, they're illusions. Uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, there was a TV show I used to like called um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You might remember that. That, that What they would do is the producers of the show would find this sort of down and out, low-income family who was struggling to keep up with their home and um, they were given this extravagant makeover in their house and then at the end of the, the sort of the big reveal of the show they'd they'd be behind this big bus and they'd say move that bus you know the bus would move and the family would jump and cry and scream and i'd be crying and everybody crying because it was like it was great they got something that they wouldn't have gotten for themselves um you you remember how good that felt felt good if you if you've seen the show but what we actually don't know quite as well is that nine of those families fell into even further debt sold those houses and, and two of those houses ended in foreclosure you know it's bad financial decisions addiction to this unattainable standard of success in an economic system that is set up and ready to exploit all the hopes and dreams See, a magic trick is not a miracle. A, a miracle is actually an assault on the systems of oppression that, necessi that necessitated the miracle in the first place. Forgiveness is a miracle. And forgiveness... Forgiveness is a fighting word. I mean, we know from the story People aren't happy that Jesus just healed this guy, that Jesus forgave this guy. Why? It says he blasphemes. He blasphemes. Only God can forgive sins. And this is what I call kind of using the God card, and, and it really sort of exposes the oppression of the religious apparatus at the time. You see, um, this is the loophole that those in power would use to stay in power. Because as everyone knew, um, the, only the holy people had the authority to forgive sins because they, they could speak for God. And God is only, if God is going to forgive somebody, they're the ones who are going to know about it. Oh, and by the way, God rarely forgives anybody, so pay up. See, the paralytic has done nothing to warrant forgiveness in their system. So his forgiveness is 
an incitement, uh, I'm sorry, his forgiveness is an indictment against the, the very ones who need forgiveness. And simultaneously, it is an affirmation of the paralytic's innocence. I'm going to say that one more time. His forgiveness, the paralytic's forgiveness, is an indictment against the very ones who need forgiveness. And simultaneously, it is an affirmation of the paralytic's innocence. See, Jesus uses a very interesting word here. It's uh, a Greek word. I believe it's pronounced afienta. Afienta. Afientai, sorry, afientai. If, if there are any Greek scholars out there who are just like clutching their ears, like my Greek pronunciation is like fingernails on chalkboards, I'm so sorry. But what's more important is the meaning of that word. It's actually a word that's taken from the debt code of that time. Um, and it not only means forgiven, but it means forgiven and let go, set free. So this man is not only forgiven of the debts, but he is let go. He is free. And this reasoning, just to be clear, is that Jesus is canceling this man's unlawful debt to the religious system. So when he was first in Capernaum, he declares a leper clean. And now he is declaring this paralytic free. And forgiveness disrupts the prevailing power dynamics of the day. So you might be thinking, okay, great, Paul, what does this have to do with me? How, do, how, how, do, how am I supposed to take this into my week, into my daily life? What does this have to do? Well, I want you to zoom out and I want you to think about who are the people involved in this story, okay? Who's, who's involved? Because I think there's really three types of people that, that I can see in this story. I would call them, the, there's the sick, um, there's the hopeful, and then there's the angry. There's the sick, who's the paralytic. There's the hopeful, which are the friends, and then there's the angry, which are the, the people in power. And so I, I think it's important to ask, okay, well, who gets freed in this story? And, and, I, and I would say that each one of us are all somewhere in the story. We could be all many of these people, all three of these people in the story. But I do think it's interesting to ask, well, who gets freed in this story? And I think it's clear, it's the suffering. It's the people who are suffering due to the sins of their bodies. Anyone here listening, carry any judgment because of their bodies? Anyone feel like their bodies were meant to be like you, you thought badly about your body? Maybe that your body was wrong? Your feminine body? Your black body? Your male body? Your weak body? That you were too much, or maybe you were not enough, or maybe that your heart, what you loved, was wrong, that it didn't belong, it was, it was not okay. 
And see, shame makes absolute statements about us and our bodies. And what Jesus does in this story is he approaches that and is like, are you ready to be healed? Are you ready to be let go of that shame? That illegal and unlawful judgment that has been made upon you? Are you the one that gets freed from this ridiculous debt? Or maybe, are you the one who gets what they came for, right? Who gets what they came for? It's the friends. The friends wanted their friend to get healed, their paralytic friend to get healed. They get what they came for. And this is what's so great. They, they're the hopeful because their faith allows them to participate in the work of justice. So maybe this is you. Is it you? I mean, have you seen enough already? Or should there be another shooting? Should there be another lynching? Should there be more children sold into slavery? Should there be more of your siblings locked into prisons of shame because of lies they've believed about their bodies? Or do you believe that's unacceptable and you are willing to do whatever it takes to get them free, to get them forgiven of that debt, to get them healed. What can you do for them? What can you do? Are you ready to pick up a corner of that mat? Are you ready to like dig out some of that roof if that means getting justice? Are you ready to get involved? Maybe if you're not the one who's getting healed, maybe if you're not the one who's who's getting what they want. You might be somebody who is angry, who gets angry. And who gets angry in this situation? Well, the news of the gospel is it's the privileged because their kingdom is over. I mean, unfortunately, the gospel is bad news before it is good news. And my guess is maybe it's if you've gotten this far into the message and you're at least open to the idea that white supremacy and patriarchy are cancers on human history. And we are probably, for the most part, all on the same page that what happened on January 6th was horrible and any move toward equality and inclusivity has always been met with resistance, violent resistance, throughout history. And um, we can see the attack that it was just an attempt to defend an empire of privilege using the God card in many ways by our friends, some Christians who profess the same things we profess. Um, but they were willing to protect that kingdom from whatever threat there was um, at any means. But their kingdom is falling. And that's good, and that's worth celebrating. But what about our internal system of justice? That internal system that we've been nurturing, maybe in our own hearts, 
some of those insurrectionists, they live right here. They are our neighbors. I keep thinking of the man who was just arrested um, for the assault on, one of the men who was arrested for the assault on the Capitol. He's from Woodland Park. Uh, he's a white man. Uh, started a paramilitary group called the Wild Dogs, uh, a militia group that trained in the woods of near Colorado Springs. And he was fed lies, fed lies about his body, fed lies about his country, and about what belonged to him, what he was entitled to. And those lies grew in the dark, and they produced that destruction that we all saw. Well, he turned himself in, and reports are that he wept through his entire hearing. I want you to just check in for a moment about that. How do you respond to that? How do you feel about that? What does that man deserve? Would you be angry if he was set free? Now, I don't mean to suggest that there should not be boundaries and laws or consequences. Actually, there is no way to truly love without those things. We need them. I'm just saying that we have news like this coming to us nonstop all day. We're hearing of another horrible thing that happened in our world and we're, we're shell-shocked, traumatized. And it takes extra energy, extra effort to ask the question, okay, how am I involved in the story? Sure, that happened all the way over there, but how am I involved? Yeah, I, I don't live in Ferguson. How am I involved? Yeah, I, I didn't go to D.C. How am I involved? Maybe it's way more personal than this. Maybe, maybe you felt betrayed by a friend. Either you know that they were clearly in the wrong, or maybe the details weren't quite so clear but you're still very hurt. It takes courage to ask the question, how am I involved even in this? Um, does the presence of Jesus, the, the cleaner, the debt canceller, does he belong here? I mean, does the presence of Jesus, does that even mean the end of my own kingdom? Well, I'm, I think that's pretty much all I have to say on the topic. I, I just have a lot of questions about forgiveness, but I do think that we're invited to rediscover it together. Um, as a way of concluding this portion, um, by way of prayer, I want to do something a little different um, I don't want to say a prayer this time, but actually I want to create some space for you to pray. Uh, a local pastor uh, that I like compiled this list of questions that God asks to people in Scripture. And um, I think I want to leave with this. So um, 
as much as you're able, what I would like you to do is find some quiet space where you are. Um, even if that's in your own mind, maybe you've got kids around and it's crazy this, the, where, whenever you're watching or listening to this, I understand it. But if at all possible, if you're able to find a quiet space physically where you can maybe sit down for just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you some of these questions that God asks people in scripture. And um, I just want you to listen. I just want you to pay attention and see what comes up for you when I ask these questions. Um, and then in just a few moments, Reuben will come back and he'll lead us through some more music, just one more song, and we'll wrap up our service today. But let's pray. Just get yourself into a quiet place and I'll ask this first question. Where are you? you who told you Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.